0: Podcast with your hosts Stan Drayev and Nick
1: <laughs> Welcome to episode fifty-eight of the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. Nick Brachia, Stan Drayev on deck to break down UFC two hundred and fifty coming up this weekend. We're also going to talk about last weekend's UFC Fight Night: Woodley versus Burns. Nikolai, how do you do?
0: You know, I'm a little pissed off, Stan, frankly, and it's because last week with Burns versus Woodley, I trained hard, I took my vitamins, I said my prayers, I started out 3-0 and to your like 1-2, and, and I was looking to cruise to an easy victory. And two fights, okay, I was really, really wrong on the main event, which... Frustrated me, but you were also wrong, and I don't think Tyron Woodley should ever fight again. But we'll talk about that later. Um, you know that that uh, Blagoy fight I thought could have gone either way, especially with the big fence grab cheat and the Alpha Ginger. I thought could have gotten that decision in in what was the tiebreaker. So I really felt like I only got one like really wrong. But still, because we were each three and two, and the tiebreaker was a split decision, you got another win, despite all my training and vitamins, and especially the prayers.
1: Much like Tyron Woodley, Nick, just a couple of competitions ago, you had the strap around your waist, things were going your way, and then you got dominated last competition nick just completely dominated but i but yeah i did but i came back hard this you, week you, you did you, you came back you were a little more competitive and more competitive than woodley was against a little Burns. more competitive
0: we tied you jerk
1: i mean you know the tiebreaker was what won me the event nick and you know what a win is a win i don't care if it's by split decision because two of the judges are family members of mine a win is a goddamn win nick the king still reigns
0: I'm just gonna go if I'm just gonna keep losing. I'm gonna I'm not gonna do the prayers and the vitamins and the training. I'm just gonna go back. I'm gonna go back to blowing all my money and (laughs) doing doing karaoke with midgets and all the things that I that I love.
1: It was karaoke with midgets. That's what had you lose to me with a one in six picking record last time, Nick.
0: Midget strippers. To be fair.
1: Oh, okay. No, that's a whole different thing. I'm actually very into that. Um, Yeah. So Tyron Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. A phenomenal performance by burns the man has arrived if we did not wash out him yes sir if we didn't believe (laughs) in him leading into this fight we certainly have to now we have to buy him as a top welterweight contender um a lot of folks are making a big hoopla about the fact that tyron woodley isn't the same um i don't know if it's not i don't think it's that he's not the same he's fighting the exact same way he fought throughout his career except now kumar usman and gilbert burns who come from the same camp they were prepared and ready. They knew that all they really had to do, if they were not going to get taken down, all they really had to worry about was that right hand. And as long as they trained to avoid it, they were going to be fine in this matchup. Both guys dominated the former champion and did something that Darren Till, Damian Maya and Stephen Thompson were not able to do. I never thought that Woodley was truly the best Walter Reed in the world. And I think now more than ever, it's showing. Of course, the man is 38 years old.
0: Certainly not, and there are, there have been. And listen, he's a he's a great competitor who clearly has some kind of sports psychology issues and some insecurity. And he re, he's rebounded in his career from embarrassing losses. The Nate Marquardt one is is certainly a resonant a resonant one. One of the worst getting styled on KOs I've seen.
1: Yeah, that was his prospect loss.
0: That was his, his prospect loss, but it was still a main event in a championship fight. True. Certainly at a smaller organization, mm-hmm. but one with a lot of eyeballs. Um, and he just when he's when he's in the cage, he looks he just looks like a guy who's lost um, in these last two fights. He's supposed to be an elite wrestler, and if you don't have your opponents worried about you know a terrifically powerful and quick like double leg, that's what opens up the possibility for for that right hand it's he he's just kind of become a one trick pony and the announcers were saying and it's hard to say it's a no for sure if this is true but if some of that twitch reflex is gone if some of that timing was gone he said himself after the fight that it looked like he felt like he was reaching i i think it's back to the drawing board but he's he's not that young i don't need i don't need to see this guy fight again i don't need to see him get um, you know, get, go to the Rashad Evans level of um, getting knocked out, you know, three or four times to finally push him into retirement. He won the title. He he knocked out a potentially diminished or potentially off the gas um, Robbie Lawler, but he also weathered and survived two, you know, 10 rounds against Wonder Boy Thompson. And he did, you know, he lost uh, to Rory McDonald, but he, w- he was in there with the top guys, and he overall, he's acquitted himself well. Just as his championship run was, to some extent, a product of timing— and let's face it, all champions are to some extent a product of timing, but he was, you know, timing was very favorable to him. Now timing is not so favorable to him, and it seems like the elite of the division, at least these two guys, and true, they are from from a camp, but I don't think any of us would look at a Covington-Woodley fight and pick Woodley after what we've just seen. No, nah, absolutely not. Um, I, can, I can look at the rest of, uh, you know, the rest of the 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 top 10. And I'm not sure which guys I would pick. I would pick Woodley over. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't need to see the guy fight again. I just don't.
1: I mean, look, I think it's a little strong to say that he doesn't need to fight again. I I hear you. He's not like super exciting if he doesn't land that right hand. And I think throughout his career, if you look at some of his fights, Damian Maya was in a very boring fight. Darren Till was nothing happened until down until Darren Till ran into Tyron Woodley's right hand and then Tyron Woodley was able to uh, knock him down and submit him shortly thereafter in the second round. Stephen Thompson was largely boring on Tyron Woodley's part. Stephen Thompson was actually the one pushing the pace in, in at least spurts of that bout until Tyron Woodley hurt him in each of the fights. One was a draw, one was a win, and Robbie Lawler, I mean, he exploded and it landed and it worked out for him, right? But if you look at what he has lost to, whether it be Roy McDonald, Kamaru Usman, uh, Nate Marquardt, or Gilbert Burns, it's pressure fighters who are able to stay away from the right hand. It's really all that it takes. It's just that Darren Till, Damian Maia, uh, and Robbie Lawler, well, Robbie Lawler didn't get the chance really to employ that game plan. Uh, Damian Maia and Darren Till didn't really have the either fight IQ or the skills to pull this off. Stephen Thompson did. For some reason, he just didn't perform like he should in that bout but overall I think Stephen Thompson for him to look good you need an aggressive fighter that's really going to take it to him for him to counter and certainly that does not describe Tyron Woodley so yeah Tyron Woodley certainly not a top five fighter anymore I actually saw a clip of him talking trash to Gilbert Burns Back when he rejected the matchup about a month ago, and he was essentially saying, like, who are you? You're like a nobody. Like, you gotta win the fights. You gotta win the fights that count. And you haven't done that. Like, like you don't count. Like, you, you gotta you gotta get a lot done before you deserve to fight me. And then this embarrassing loss, it's bad. Woodley, again, I, I've never found the guy to be likable, never found him to be entertaining outside of when he hits a big right hand or when he's on top grounding and pounding. He's nasty in that position. And it really is as simple as avoiding the only two things that he could possibly do to you, which is take you down or land the right hand. And there's plenty of guys at Walter White that are going to be able to pull this off now, especially that they now that they've seen Usman and Burns do it. I definitely think that uh, Cody...
0: Uh, Cody... Cody Covington, stand.
1: I definitely think that Cody Covington would piece him up, and I think it was a bad style matchup for Woodley from the beginning.
0: Have... Um your inability to, to recall Covington's last name has me worried, Stan, that uh, with your loads and loads of sparring sessions that perhaps you've suffered some CTE.
1: There's a very fair chance. You're making a joke of it, but there's a decent chance. Like, I have trouble recalling words sometimes. And, and you know what, Nick? Thank you for uh, picking on that right on our show for everyone to hear. No,
0: that's uh, – I mean, I, I also, you're – we all start forgetting things. I I forget things and I've only been hitting the head a couple hundred times. Oh,
1: you're suddenly equivocating and you're on my side? Is that what happened just now? <laughs> I'm not equ- <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not equivocating. I'm saying remember like not remembering a few words is is probably not, you know, is not CTE.
1: No, I I'm not sure that I have CTE or anything, but I do have trouble recalling things that I didn't in the past and I'm not one to get hit a lot, but I've certainly taken some big shots over the years, never been knocked down or knocked out, but you know, it's, uh, I don't think, I don't think that means that I haven't taken some uh, damage, haven't lost some brain cells, Nick. And you know what? Some of us can afford it more than others.
0: Yeah. I mean, just the verbal jabs I've assaulted you with on this show alone. Um, so let's get <laughs> on to the next, the next, so let's zip through the rest of the card. Augusto Sakai looked pretty good. His, um, you know, I like, I, I think he was much, much bigger. He looked, he looked a weight class bigger uh, than Ivanov. Um, easily, and Ivanov, I'd love to see it 205, but I don't know if he can do that. He's one of those guys that's kind of stuck in that. You know, there's a 55 pound difference, right? And that's a lot of weight. Um, so he did. He definitely looked like he was fighting a guy one or two weight classes bigger. Um, and Sakai's uh, kickboxing looked better to me than it has in previous fights. Um, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a close match, not a star maker, not a, um, you know, not a sort of on fire bout. But I thought Ivanov uh, did enough to, to win the first, and I thought he was on his way to win the third before that fence grab. So it is what it is.
1: Yeah, it seemed to me like Ivanov was doing what you and I expected him to do in that first round, and I thought he took that round. Sakai is a little bit slower, right? He's actually worked on his speed, and he's improved in that department. He moves pretty well, but he's not super fast, understandably.
0: But his kicks look good and it's real, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter if you see it coming, it doesn't matter if you block it. That's a gigantic guy throwing a, Absolutely. a, a, fair, a fairly technical, like, you know, what's his team in Brazil? He tra- He's with those guys. In, I think uh, he's with
1: Team Nogueira, I believe.
0: Is he? Yeah. I mean, you, you could tell he's put in a lot of uh, Muay Thai sparring.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, the guy, I've always been a believer in him as a prospect. The guy has all kinds of skills. I just thought the speed discrepancy would make the difference in the fact that Sakai is generally not busy. Now, Blagoy was taking it to him, or at least trying the majority of the fight. But in that second round, what changed was, to your point, the kicks of Augusto, but also more importantly, that Augusto was getting the last word in in almost every exchange. He was countering with yep. multiple shots as Blagoy was pushing forward. And then in that case, the speed discrepancy wasn't really as much of a factor if Blagoy was going to be able to uh, avoid the counter and then counter once again on his own so really good win by Augusto Sakai who's undefeated in the UFC 15-1 overall he's a real prospect at heavyweight and this should get him a ranking in the UFC heavyweight division
0: just because Overeem coming off of a win like put him against Overeem I would like I, I think love that's it. a good fight
1: I- I'm, I'm, ver- okay. I'm very much into that Al- although it's you know a little bit risky to risk another prospect to Overeem but I, I would enjoy watching that fight for sure what were your thoughts on the Billy Quarantillo versus Spike Carlisle matchup, buddy?
0: As uh, as advertised, Carlisle comes out like a maniac. Uh, looked really good. Showed a lot of tenacity. He, I mean, he he kind of fights to his gimmick, and that's not um, that's not a, that maybe that used to be, I guess, a recipe for getting bonuses. But I don't really feel like the UFC um, works quite like that any anymore. So I think he needs to be a little more risk averse and. Temper on his cardio. It was very much a winnable fight for him. Some could argue that he did win, but uh, Quarantillo did. You know he was great. He he survived it, and he put some. He put some really nice technical submissions on on Carlisle. He didn't get the tap, but I think that's has more to do with, with Carlisle's toughness than Quarantillo's technique.
1: Well, it's also Spike Carlisle is known for being really good on the ground as well. The guy's strong as hell. He yeah. has a never-say-die attitude. Like He basically blew his load in the first round, put out so much energy because he's used to finishing there that in the second and third, he just wasn't the same. But the difference between Carlisle and a lot of other fighters is that Carlisle kept trying his hardest. Right. Even though he was clearly exhausted, he was putting everything into everything he was doing. And that's really a mental thing that a lot of fighters aren't able to pull off. Like, you can be tired, right? But not to throw anything, kind of like Anthony Smith generally does. When he gets tired, when he feels like you've got the advantage of him, he just doesn't throw anything. He won't give up, right? He won't. Give up the submission easily, but he just won't throw anything back at you that's worth uh, defending. Whereas Spike Carlisle, you know, you still are in danger at every moment in that fight. And I agree with you. I think for him, it would be tempering his cardio. Maybe the COVID lockdowns and all that had an effect on his training, but he is still, you know, a character, an insane man. How about that walk off, Nick? In the first round, Carlisle, with 10 seconds left, was on top, dominating Billy. And then he just suddenly gets up after the clapper sounds and starts walking away as if he just knocked the guy out. And Quarantillo did the right thing, got up and walloped him with the left hook as the round was ending. Uh, Spike Carlisle is a freaking character. He is insane, and I look forward to watching more of that guy. Yeah, entertaining fighter. Yes, sir. Roosevelt Roberts uh, did his thing against Brock Weaver like we expected. There's a reason he was a big favorite here, and he performed like he should have.
0: Yep. Uh, the next uh, we, Mackenzie Dern uh, had his ciphers like... It was a, it was a little heartbreaking. I really like both these fighters. Dern showed up uh, certainly looking a little more. I mean, competitive is the wrong word, but a little more focused, a little more fired up, a little less happy-go-lucky, um, and certainly in terrific shape. And. Uh, Hannah took it to her for the opening opening seconds of this fight. And Dern was clearly surprised by her power in the clinch, by the power behind her punches. And as the fight went to the ground, which I believe was precipitated by uh, a Siffer's move, or maybe they got tangled up. But Hannah, uh, you know, had her in a good position. And then she stepped back. She knew, I do not want to mess with this, you know, Brazilian black belt um, virtuoso. Uh, You know, on on the ground and she stepped back and then she thought you could see her think for a minute and then jump back in. And I was like, oh, and of course she got she got tangled up, but a little more experience, a little less heat of the moment uh Dern gets back on the feet and who maybe maybe it was going to happen anyway but it, it could have been longer and it was certainly entertaining while it lasted
1: yeah i think best case for cyphers is that it would have lasted a little bit longer she's been finished on the ground three times in the ufc now that's her weakness you know it is what it is there's a reason that Dern was handed this matchup and uh, it ended as most of us expected caitlin Chukagan actually went for takedowns like you said she might nick for the first time in her ufc career she was getting that body lock consistently first and second rounds. She only needed one takedown around. Once she did, Shevchenko was simply not getting up. She is a fraction of her uh, older sister who might be the best pound for pound, skill-wise at least, at least women's fighter in the world. Shukagin did her thing. Uh, good for her. She is a top. Shukag- yeah, complete
0: martial artist. And it, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you can no finish way. your thought. No, there. go ahead. Oh, um, the thing I loved about this is we've seen so many fighters, even if they win, uh, come off of a title, a title fight loss. And just seemed very lackluster, a little depressed, a little, I'm not sure where I'm going from here, a little tentative. Chukagian had a game plan. She went in and she executed it perfectly. Looked like a million bucks. It was the most fun I've had watching her in ages.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was an entertaining fight. Her combination of actually staying in the pocket in that third round, the fact that she was actually going for takedowns, those body locks were really effective. Pounding away on the floor, uh, had her arm trapped at one point, was just a really the best performance of her UFC career thus far. Dan Rodriguez beat Gabe Green as we expected. Gabe Green looked like he was on steroids to me, man. It's a different kind of muscle tone that I've seen from him in the past. Uh, Jamal Hill, spectacular first round knockout over Klitson Abreu. This guy is going to be something special, Nick. I am a believer he's still going to need to shore up that takedown defense, but the same could have been said about Israel Adesanya after his first fight or two in the UFC. Tim Elliott blew his gas tank in the first round after dominating Brandon Royval. He just didn't have the training camp behind him, and Brandon's a young guy who was putting the time in. Uh, Casey Kenny Beat Luis Smoka in the first round submission. Smoka, he tends to lose by submission when, that, when he does get finished. And Chris Gutierrez, spectacular leg kick TKO over the very talented Vince Morales. Really, Chris Gutierrez, this was a huge, huge uh, fight for him, a huge performance.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was a good card. I, had really, I really enjoyed the card top to bottom.
1: I agree. We have a lot to look back on, but more importantly, we have a lot to look forward to. UFC 250, Nick and I are going to hit our draft picks and break down the card for you guys. Right after this. This is for the dozens and dozens of the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast listeners. Knowing that you're a bunch of social media influencers, mavens, and mentors, I'd like to ask you to use your prestige to let people know about the podcast. We put a lot of work and research into this series and we'd love to grow our listenership and expose more people to it. If you know someone who's into MMA but has not given us a listen, give them a heads up. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Nick and I taking turns boasting about the prior week's results, am I right? Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast, we're going to get into our draft picks now, Nick. Last week, you had the first pick and you had the tiebreaker didn't work out so well for you. Some of us take advantage of opportunities. Some of us don't. This week, Nick, I get the first pick. There's 12 fights, even numbers, so there is no tiebreaker. We're each going to end up with six picks at the end of this episode. Nikolai, my first pick, I think it's no surprise to you, is going to be the women's GOAT. It's going to be Amanda Nunez. To do her thing against the very, very tough, the talented on the floor, Felicia Spencer. It's unfortunate that 145 is as empty as it is, that Felicia Spencer can't really work out the kinks and gain the experience and the skill that she needs before getting a title shot. I mean, she fought Chris Cyborg in her second UFC fight, and she was tough as nails in that one, couldn't really get takedowns or top position. And so it didn't work out for her, but she never gave in. She never stopped trying. Amanda Nunes is going to test felicia spencer's heart at least as much as cyborg did um i guess there's a small chance that amanda nunez might fight safe here and really be very careful about not getting taken down but i i don't think she has that much to worry about felicia spencer even if she does end up on top she's not going to finish nunez so i expect amanda nunez to take either a very uh clear-cut decision over spencer in which maybe spencer picks up around uh best case scenario or a tko because amanda nunez hits like a truck what do you think buddy
0: i hope you're wrong because <laughs> i want because I, I want those points um i hear that yeah i i mean sure i'd be very very surprised if spencer ends up on top of nunez for five for five rounds or or gets a submission there may be you know she may flirt with a close call who knows if she can't if it's going to be if she cannot get nunez to the ground it's going to be very very short
1: yes sir you're right about that uh what is your first pick buddy
0: uh there's uh, it's a it's a toss up because there's one staring me in the face in the face but I think it could blow up on me um but I'm going to take it anyway which is uh the kid the flashy kid Sean O'Malley uh, to defeat Eddie Wineland. uh Eddie Wineland's not not completely out of gas he but he has slowed down uh, considerably over the last couple years but O'Malley's so fast, so creative. I'd say I would, de- I would define this fight as Wineland having uh, a puncher's chance. I don't think he's like going to be, you know, I don't think he's going to try to turn it into a wrestling match. I don't think he'd have um, much success with that. I think O'Malley just too, too spry, too quick. Um, so I think that this will be a case of up-and-coming prospect uh, styling on a slightly over-the-hill veteran.
1: Yeah, I hear that. I agree with you on the pick. I do see some danger in the matchup against Eddie Wineland. Eddie is still a very capable stand-up guy. Hits really hard with that right hand. He is unorthodox. He's somewhat hard to hit, even though he keeps his chin up. But I expect that Sugar Sean has been training pretty consistently through the COVID. He's a young guy, doesn't have a family. Um, All he really has, as far as I can tell, is pot and training. So I expect that he did plenty of both over the course of this thing. And Eddie Wineland, who's, you know, guys, guy's got a family. He's 35 years old. Um, He's you know, training with a less than notable camp. And I'm not sure that they were really uh, full guns blazing throughout this uh, lockdown. I do want to say, though, Nick, don't think I didn't notice that you called a 25-year-old Sugar Sean O'Malley spry. He is spry. I mean, I guess. Isn't that a word for like senior citizens who survived the COVID?
0: Um, wh- one of us is a professional published writer and the other one of us is Stan.
1: Oh, you're gonna pull that card on me? <laughs> God damn it!
0: He's, you know, he's just like he's just whatever, man. I'm all tied up. God, you're gonna damn edit it, this. Man. You're gonna edit this out. I absolutely didn't to come not. At, come, I am. I didn't leaving... expect you to cut. Co- <laughs> you came at my adjectives. I am. Like, I am absolutely
1: doing? leaving it in there, Nick. And I do want to say, one of us is taking the risk of competing competing in fight sports and combat sports Nikolai one of us is undefeated and the other is Nick Bratchia I
0: well you know what I I did fight in the back of in the back of punch without a mouthpiece or headgear while uh, well people cheered me on and got the shit kicked out of me
1: Yes you did Nick you did have a little bit of a rolling session with a guy who didn't know jiu-jitsu that is true no,
0: well no, that was that's separate. I did have I had, I had a rolling session with a with a purple belt who weighed fifty pounds less than me and tied me into a pretzel. <laughs> that sounds about um, right. But I did I did pretty well until I against uh, my fellow train trainee until I uh, I just gassed so early and then I became a punching bag.
1: I hear that. So your first pick is O'Malley, my first pick is Nunes, Nikolai. My next pick is going to be Alonzo Menafield to beat Devin Clark. I can see the danger. Menafield was taken down by Paul Craig. So I, I can see the danger in Devin Clark getting top position here consistently, but Menafield really just needs to land one clear punch on Devin Clark, who doesn't have the best chin. Devin Clark tends yep. to lose to prospects like this and tends to beat the guys that don't really belong in the UFC. So I expect Alonzo Menafield to land a bomb here sometime in the first or second round and uh, move on with his UFC career.
0: Uh, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. So I wouldn't say... Uh, Anything more about that? I think my next pick, these get real, uh, real tricky really quickly. I agree from here on out. I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go with Herbert Burns over Evan Dunham. Um, Not only do we know that he, he he, you know, he's training with his brother, which is a good thing right now. But you know Dunham's one of those guys, you know, talented guy. But uh, came up as a prospect, took a bunch of losses. Had you know, always stayed fairly competitive. I thought he had retired, um, but I think this is another case of a of a guy with a with a high ceiling against a a seasoned veteran um, gatekeeper who's lost a bit of steam since his uh, since his debut for certain.
1: I agree with you on the pick, but I do see some risk in it. Dunham is a veteran who's well-rounded. Dunham is extremely hard to take down, and Herbert Burns is generally known as a jiu-jitsu guy. He doesn't have the best stand-up, even though he got a knockout in his UFC debut. Um, Herbert will, of course, have a little bit of reach, even though he's a little bit shorter in this matchup. But I do like him over Dunham. I just think, given where they are in their careers, odds are that at some point... Herbert really only needs to land a body shot. And I think that training with his brother Gilbert Burns, who picked up a huge win last week, training with guys like Kumar Usman leading into some big fights lately, the guy should have been busy enough in the gym, should have been training. Whereas Dunham, I'm not as sure what was going on out in Vegas. I know uh, most of it was closed down, and I'm not sure how much training he was getting. I, I assume he's still with extreme couture
0: there. I have a little bit more to add to this fight. Please. I mean, when you're looking at their previous recent bouts, Okay. Yeah, Herbert Burns got a knockout. He also got a knockout against Nate Landwehr, who we re- who we learned um after his fight with oh my god, who's the um, I get my I get my Redneck Strikers confused. Um Darren Elkins. Yeah. Um, that he can he's no pushover. He can take a shot and he's a tough guy. And Burns got him out of there in the first. Meanwhile, Dunham, you know, in his recent fights got um you know, he lost. It for, he got knocked out by Francesco, uh, Francesco Trinaldo, which is nothing to be uh, embarrassed about. But he also lost in the first round to Luvier Open Merce, who's not who's not exactly known for getting guys out of there. Yep. Um, so and yeah, that was two years ago, but it uh, it hasn't. Uh, it's been a while since Dunham has looked like the uh, the great prospect that he was.
1: Yeah, Dunham actually had a nice win streak. He was four. Oh, and one. So he had one draw in that mix with Benil Daryush, who's, you know, by all means a high level fighter uh, back in 2017. And then he lost those two fights, Nick, both of them by body shot. So again, I expect Herbert Burns to know that all he needs to do is land a clean liver shot, especially given that he trains at the Black Zillions or the former Black Zillions Hard Knocks 365 under Henry Hooft, who I'm sure is going to develop a game plan for him to land on that sweet spot. So we are on the same page on this one. I'm going to take. As my third picnic, I'm going to take Cody Stamen to get a decision over Brian Kelleher. Cody is solid, man. I, I know there's like a lot of talk about his last fight. To be honest, on the rewatch, I thought that the draw was exactly what should have happened, given that his opponent lost a point, Song Yidong. Uh, Cody Stamen had a really competitive fight with a young prospect who, you know, who can finish guys, who can hit really hard, who's able to get those takedowns when needed. I think he should be able to get top position over Brian. I think even standing up, he should be, he should be generally fine with Brian. I don't think the odds of Cody Stamen getting submitted are very high. I don't consider Kelleher's submission game to be quite as good as Aljamain Sterling's, who was able to get Cody Stamen out of there a couple of fights ago. So I think Cody Stamen picks up a decision.
0: I agree with all that. I think that's what's going to go down. I also don't like when fighters come back as quickly as Callagher coming back.
1: Well, he is coming back after after a second round knockout during the quarantine. So he's in shape. You know, it's not the worst. situation. Yeah, I still,
0: I know I still don't like it. I don't like guys. And wait, I just don't. I, I think I should take at least guys. If guys are going to fight one, uh, four times a year, let them fight once a quarter, you know, January, April. Uh, anyway, that's a that's a whole nother show we could do on on that. And I'd, I'd be very curious as to your perspective as a as a fighter. I'm going to pick the other Cody for my next pick, Cody Garbrand, over Rafael Asuncao. Love Asuncao. He's a great fighter. I think this is as safe a fight as they could give Cody based on his ranking and the level of competition he's at Um, because he's very fast. He hits hard. Um, Asuncao is not, you know, he's a little more susceptible. Um, He has been, after loads and loads of fights without being uh, knocked out did get finished by i believe morace and a sunset was not known uh, as a guy with with one punch uh one punch power so the question i think that um if cody gets dropped um in this fight then we can really feel like his 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 chin is compromised i think um this should be a, f- a fight where over three rounds he's able to um, style, you know, style on the feet and get some of his swagger back. I don't think it'll be easy, but it's. I think this is a fight that's set up for him to win because he's a, he is a bankable star.
1: Yeah, I agree with the pick, but I consider this to be an extreme pick. I mean, I've got a couple of picks before I was going to make this one. I just feel like it's risky to bet, one, against American Top Team, which has been doing really well through the COVID, two, the fact that Cody's on a real downswing, Whereas Rafael Asuncao, yeah, he did get caught by Marlon Moraes, and he did get beat by Cody Sanhagen in a competitive fight. I just feel like Cody, you know, coming off a couple of losses, he's now been training with Ricardo Almeida in New Jersey. A uh, little bit of a switch up from his team alpha male training. So uh, I do feel like Cody's in this kind of odd place. I think he's coming off of a couple of injuries, two knockouts. So it's a risky one, especially with Rafael Sonsal. Recently, more than ever, he's been landing that right hand and knocking guys down with it, if not out. So I definitely see the danger for uh, no love in this one. But I do very, very tentatively agree with your pick. My next pick, Nick, and uh, again, the rest of these are absolute pickums, So I, I don't really blame you for taking Garbrandt in this one. I think we're going to take Charles Bird, who hasn't really looked that great in the UFC this far, against Maki Pitolo, who's looked a little bit worse. Bird yep. is an athletic guy, uh, good takedowns, pretty explosive standing up, even though he doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of power. Uh, more importantly, he trains with Fortis MMA, which in my opinion is a top-level team, whereas Maki Pitolo trains out in Hawaii, I'm not sure what the COVID status was out there, but just his UFC debut against Callum Potter, where he was kind of outgunned on the feet because he kept having this deer in the headlight situation against a much less athletic opponent, and he was out grappled on the ground. Um, I think Charles Bird has the tools to beat Maki Patolo, but if Patolo lands a bomb and uh, turns Charles Bird's lights off, I wouldn't be shocked.
0: Um, I'm with you. I'm with you on that play, As usual, we agree on more than we disagree uh, curious what you're going to think of my next pick, and I'm surprised, frankly, that we didn't choose this one uh, more quickly. I think uh, I think Jushir Formiga is going to defeat Alex Perez. Um, I just think I think Formiga, as he showed against Moreno, uh, he's still he still got it. He's a terrific uh, top three flyweight, and I think Alex Perez is, is really good. I just like I don't think there's that much. Um, difference despite the fact that uh Benavidez has defeated him twice between I think that there's not that huge of a gap between Formiga and Benavidez and Benavidez more or less did what he wanted with with Alex Perez and I just think Formiga is still a very very talented tough uh veteran and this is a little too I think it's maybe is a little too early for Perez to be uh to be fighting another guy who's this accomplished
1: I actually ended up Edging very slightly toward Perez in this one, and again, huh. this, there's a reason that this is a pick'em fight. I feel like Perez is going to be the bigger man. He's going to be stronger. He's notably younger at 28 years old, but he's super experienced. Trains with Timo Ayama, who has had a couple of fighters uh, in in you know in rotation in the last couple of UFC events. So there's reason to believe you know he was able to get some training in for this one. Uh, Formiga, of course, trains an American top team, which has been killing it throughout the COVID. So there's good reason to support your pick. Um, I just feel like Alex Perez, yeah, he did get caught by Benavidez in that first round. I think Benavidez ended up having to finish him twice because the referee kind of came in and out uh, in the middle of that round before uh, kind of the end of the round where Benavidez had to TKO him again. The thing about Perez is he doesn't really get taken down and that's really for Miga's way to win this fight is to patiently stay on the feet and stay out of danger largely and then shoot under Alex Perez's offense and get uh, top position to ride out at least two rounds. I, I like Alex Perez to land enough damage and uh, do his thing through this one, so I'm glad you made that pick. But,
0: hey, but wouldn't, you, wouldn't you say that, that Davidson Figueroa is also someone who doesn't get taken down and who's
1: huge for the weight class? Actually, Davidson Figueroa gets taken down all the time. In fact, yeah, okay. li- leading up to that Formiga fight, he got taken down a handful of times. In fact, th- there was a decision or two in there where uh, a lot of folks thought he did not deserve it. So uh, I-, I do think it's a different matchup. Figueredo standing up is about as dangerous as Perez, uh, probably a little bit bigger than Perez, but it's the ground game. I think that was the difference. And also, it wouldn't be surprising me for F- uh, Figueredo that was kind of his prospect loss. Everybody has to. Uh, Most people have to have one until they get up to that legitimate title shot. I believe it was, by the way, Jared Brooks that took down Figueredo a bunch of times. And that was a couple of fights before that Formiga fight. So on different pages on that one, my next pick, Nick, my fifth pick is going to be Chase Hooper to either submit or get top position for long enough against Alex Caceres to earn a victory. I realize that it's risky. Caceres is a real crafty veteran. I just feel like Caceres is not really focused on MMA. He hasn't been in a while. He hasn't been beating these solid prospects for the most part. And really the ground game seems to be his weakness. And we've seen that time and again that he's, you know, he's very, you can take the guy down. Caceres is going to have a big advantage, I think, standing unless Chase Hooper has made huge leaps and strides in that department. But I do like Chase Hooper's chances of either locking up a submission or getting a decision here.
0: Yeah, I was kind of – I could go either way on this one because didn't, didn't Hooper take a bunch of damage from Steve Peterson before uh, he won that fight, or am I misremembering?
1: I don't think he fought Steve Peterson. I believe oh, it was looking, Caceres sorry, that fought I'm looking
0: Peterson. at – yeah, yeah. I meant um, – no, it wasn't the Martin – who did – there was a fight where Chase Hooper, I felt like oh, Chase Hooper was...
1: in his UFC debut, he fought the uh, not as good Tamer brother Daniel Tamer and was able to. Yes. he did take a little bit of damage, but he was able to ground and pound him uh once yeah. he got top position. He turned. It, he turned. He turned
0: it around, right?
1: Yeah, but uh, he, here's the thing: David Tamer is a real explosive hitter, like especially early on, the guy until he gets tired is super dangerous. Just overall, he really is until he gets exhausted. And I believe that Hooper was the first guy to beat him in the first round like that. It took. For him to really get exhausted in the second and third rounds in his prior fights before he could get finished. So I, I, yep. I, I just feel like it's a feather in Hooper's cap, even though uh, maybe Tamar hasn't been the best UFC fighter this far.
0: So three fights left to pick, and they're all pick 'ems as far as I can see. Agreed. Um, it's really going to be some guesswork here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Neil Magny over Anthony Rocco Martin, just on the strength of uh, Magny's last performance, where he looked like a, a, a man possessed and a, a revitalized uh, fighter following uh, following his suspension and a little bit of time off after being probably alongside Cerrone, the most active fighter in the UFC over a maybe three or four year period. Um, I just think. I, I mean, Anthony Rocco Martin's no is no joke. I just think Magny's got a more uh, robust, uh, slightly more robust bag of tricks, and I thought his striking just looked incredible in his last fight.
1: Yeah, I, I do hear where you're coming from. I agree, I mean, extremely tentatively. I, I see so many avenues for...
0: Well, it's all it's all tentative now. Yeah, I mean,
1: you're not kidding. It's true. I see so many avenues for Rocco Martin to win. Uh, the fact that he's got solid takedown defense, the fact that he's got a pretty heavy right hand, the fact that generally it's not Neil Magny's skill set that has given Rocco Martin trouble. I don't think Magney's going to get a whole lot of takedowns, although his body-like uh, takedowns are pretty decent. Um, I, I do know that is significantly taller, and he's going to have the reach advantage in the matchup. I know that Magny trains at elevation, which means he's probably going to be in excellent shape. Anthony Rocco Martin, I'm not as sure that he will be in excellent shape, although he does train with the American top team out in Georgia, which has been having several fighters in rotation lately as well, including Rafael Sanchez, who's on this card. I see avenues for both guys to win. I do think Neil Magny, who doesn't really push it until that second round, he doesn't really go for the kill per se, even though he can be busy. I think Rocco Martin is the kind of guy that can go for the kill. He's going to have a certain level of ferocity that Magny's not, and I could certainly see that being the. Difference maker in a close decision here It could be but at the
0: same time How many times has, has Even before this what I consider to be a new and improved Magni at least in his fight against Li Lang? Um, I probably Butchered that but you know No it, it was actually your best he, rendition he had, of it uh, Okay so there have been Plenty of fights that I can That we could think about whether it's I guess um, Silva if I recall certainly um, Hector Lombard um, Fights where Uh, Magny weathered Magny's very very good at weathering the storm and coming back strong um, off of his gas tank so I'm not I'm not as worried about it because I feel like he has um, he's a take a licking and keep on ticking kind of guy for the most part there have been a couple guys who tested that like Lorenz Larkin and Santiago Ponzinibbio but um, I I, I don't know I've got I have faith in this new in in Neil Magny probably 3.0 we could call this
1: I will say quickly though that ever since moving up to 170, Rocco Martin is five and one, and his one loss is to Damian Maya, and it was a majority decision, so it wasn't even like clear cut. He did pretty well against Damian Maya, considering. So he did. Uh, he really is, in my opinion putting it all together. He's a high-level fighter at this point, and Neil Magny wasn't really always able to pull the trigger. Like It's kind of a 50-50 chance in a fight like this, which obviously is the reason it's one of our last three picks, but yeah, we're we're largely on the same page. I am talking myself into uh, kind of favoring Anthony Rocco Martin at this point. At this moment, Nick, I'm changing my pick, even though it doesn't count toward our draft competition. My next pick, Nikolai, my sixth pick, the final one, There's two fights left, and that's Sterling versus Sanhagen, and then Heinich versus Mirchart. I'm going to pick Gerald Mirchart. I don't know why. Um, He's a finisher. uh, He's going to have a good bit of height and reach, and Ian Heinich gets taken down a lot. Even though Mirchart is slow as hell, he'll probably not be uh, landing a lot of his offense. I think part of it does depend on Heinich's uh, gas tank as well, but I guess I'll lean slightly toward Mirchart who... You know, if he can get takedowns like Ian's other opponents, he can actually good, get get good position, and he's a real danger in that in that situation. Also, Mierchart is a real finisher, so I, I see a chance for him to possibly finish here as well. But again, this is a pick 'em. There's a reason it's my last pick.
0: It's real close. I think that was kind of where I was I was going as well. I mean, Heinisch seems to be a guy who kind of no, he doesn't really. I don't want to say he fights from underneath. It's just I'm always pulling for him, and he's. <laughs> He's a tough guy. He's a tough guy to root for because when he looks great, he looks great. It just does. He just doesn't look great enough. Mirshart in that last fight against, um, who's DC's boy that should be fighting two weight classes down. Darren Wynn. Yeah. Against Darren Wynn. He took a insane uppercut, kept, you know, kept going. Mirshart in top, in top position is a, is a very dangerous thing. Um, and he's probably going to get it over the course of, of three rounds. So I could see potentially an arm triangle or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the So this is the next pick, mine, or is it, just, is it a tiebreaker pick? Uh,
1: it's the last pick. No tiebreakers since there's 12 fights on this one. Oof,
0: this is such a hard one. I'm convinced I'm going to get it wrong. I mean, this is one of those fights that almost comes down to camp for me. Like, the New York area has been a mess. Longo Serra, although still a, a really terrific camp. Does, it's not... The East Coast camps, for some reason, it seems... And I, I say this both to like the Mark, both about the Mark Henry crew for the most part, the Mark Henry Almeida crew, which I think is still run crew. I actually, I actually, actually think
1: their their ladies have been doing really well.
0: Their lady, you're right. Their ladies, have, their ladies have been doing well.
1: And by the way, Cordy Garbrandt trained with that team leading into this fight, and you picked him. Just saying.
0: I did, but I didn't. I actually didn't know that he had switched camps. Uh-huh. Um, I don't
1: know if it's permanent. By the way, it might just be for this fight.
0: Yeah. A fighter like him working with Mark Henry on boxing, though, when he's primarily a a very fast and slick boxer, like that seems okay to me. But they don't seem like a camp of momentum the way that uh, the way that the guys in Colorado, which I believe is where Corey Sanhagen trains. correct? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, (sighs) this is just a real tough one. I mean, I believe that like Sterling's path to victory. I think I think Sanhagen is a better striker um, and I think he's probably a better all around fighter. The question is if if Sterling, um, who is a D three wrestler, uh, and has you know has that has that base has that background, can keep top control and avoid Sanhagen's pretty good bottom game, and this has, this fight has split decision written all over it, um, and in those cases I tend to go with the guy who is more likely to get points for top control. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take the long, what I consider to be slightly the longer shot, um, and say that Sanhagen does enough, uh, does some some really great things standing up, that has Sterling uh, fighting from behind uh, for large portions of the fight. I th- and that's a bet. That's a long. That's a long shot bet. It's maybe it's just what I'd like to see, um, but I think that's what it's going to come down to: is top control versus like creative striking.
1: Yeah, Sterling is eighteen and three, right? A phenomenal record considering probably yeah, his last ten fights. I think were in the UFC, probably, maybe a little bit more than 10, actually. Like, he's really put together a solid career after experiencing a couple of losses, uh, close decisions to Rafael Sunset Brian Caraway, and then he got caught by Marlon Marais. Whereas Sanhagen, he's really, I mean, he's undefeated in the UFC thus far, even though he had a couple of moments that in his UFC debut, namely, where he was caught in an armbar and just like toughed his way through it finished uh, Yuri Alcantara shortly afterward. Since then, it's he's been rolling through Mario Batista, John Lineker, Rafael Sanzao. Lineker fight was extremely close, and a lot of folks think maybe should have gone the other way. As of this very moment, even though I had Corey Sanhagen written down, I'm going to lean toward Aljamain Sterling. I yeah. think you have a point about the fact that Corey Sanhagen's camp has been up and running, whereas Sterling's has absolutely not. In fact, Sterling's head coach, Ray Lungo, is not going to be out there with him it sounds like he's staying quarantined really you know keeping safe because i think he has some underlying health issues that might put him in serious danger of this virus so there are a couple of things that are in Corey's favor here Corey's also the taller man he's the busier man but sterling is going to be stronger he's going to hit harder even though his output may not be the same he's actually just fought a pressure fighter who's granted much shorter than Corey sanhagen in this matchup he just fought Pedro Munoz and he did a really great job of circling around the octagon moving that head and countering really well with some heavy shots some serious kicks if he can keep Corey Sanhagen at kicking range he's going to be fine on the stand-up right even though that's tough with Sanhagen constantly moving forward on top of that I think Sanhagen gave up multiple takedowns in his last fight to Rafael Sonsau who's also competing at this event and if Rafael Sonsau can take him down I think Sterling can as well and on the ground Sterling I think would be a little bit more dominant than a Sonsau was able to it was kind of a scramble fest with Sanhagen and a I think Sterling should be able to actually score some serious points maybe a small chance of a submission judging by the fact that Sanhagen has been in trouble in the submission department in his UFC career but we've got you know a couple of you know, jiu-jitsu aces as well here. I mean, Corey Sanhagen is a brown belt at this point. He's no pushover in that department. I am at this moment favoring Sterling very slightly, but the fact that it's a smaller cage will favor Corey Sanhagen as well. So this really is such a toss-up of a fight. So many variables that can go either way. Uh, I'm going to be very interested in watching this. I also think this absolutely should have been the co-main event instead of the uh, Sun Tsao Garbrandt matchup.
0: Uh, I agree with that, and I and we talked briefly last week that like Alex Perez, you share for like on the on the early prelims is disgraceful.
1: Yeah, I dude, they keep doing that. The, Dana White alluded to the fact that 135 nobody cares about, uh, and and 125 nobody cares about. But there's a reason nobody cares about him. Nobody gets to see them fight, especially at the top of the card, which is where they belong. These are super highly ranked fighters,
0: and they just had a star, a Henry Cejudo. Yep. Was a crossover star. He was getting coverage on TMZ. Yep. Um, He just showed up on AEW. He was everything they complained Mighty Mouse wasn't. I agree. And they're still walking away. A a two-division champ with incredible skills who's a much, listen, he's a heel, but he's a much more endearing heel than Colby Covington.
1: He's not really a heel. He's like a tongue-in-cheek heel
0: yeah i know that's why he's a more endearing heel than colby covington right right because he's clearly he's clearly doing a shtick he's not he doesn't politicize it he's not you know he's not he doesn't behave like a piece of shit right um he just he behaves like a dork like the fact of the matter is lots of people who are uh, olympic caliber athletes have been doing one thing for the majority of their lives and they are kind of socially dorks that's it just goes with the territory. Yeah. As, as someone who's trained, is trained as long as you have, and fo- been focused on something, I mean that that accounts for like a lot of your personality.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. The hard work, the relentlessness, the fact that I'm consistently winning (laughs) over you definitely accounts for a lot of my performance, a lot of my personality on this podcast. But seriously, I think Dana White's just in hard negotiating mode, and maybe we'll get into the John Jones thing in a couple of minutes. Let's take a break. We're going to come back quickly, talk about the betting for last week. I'm not sure if I'm willing to commit to bets for this event, although I do have a couple of suggestions that might be interesting on the prop side. Uh, Let's take a break and come back, Nikolai. (laughs) We are back here to give you guys the MMA Geeks betting guide. Last week didn't go great for me, Nick. I only put 80 bucks up between two bets, uh, put some money on Spike Carlisle, uh, lost 40 bucks on that one. That decision could have gone either way. And then I put 40 bucks on Abreu, who you know, didn't work out for me either. He got caught pretty early before he was able to get his takedown game going. So, n- not a great event for me, but not a huge loss. This week I'm not really that like committed or excited about any major bets here. So, I'm just going to throw out a couple of $10 bets that might be interesting kind of props that, you know, you-, you can take advantage of some of these odds given the likelihood of these fights finishing a certain way. Caceres by decision at +320. I figure that's worth $10. Hooper by decision at +400. Uh 10 bucks to win 40. I I think that might be worth a little bit of a gamble there. Mirchart inside the distance +270. Ten bucks to win twenty-seven, maybe twenty bucks to win. uh, What is it? Fifty-four. If you're if you're willing to risk it, Cody Stamen by decision minus one thirty-five. I actually think, considering he's a big favorite as a straight bet, I actually think it's he's not likely to finish Kellerher, who has been finished granted a few times in his UFC career. I I just think he's not super likely to finish him. Yeah. Let
0: me jump in for a second. You see Cody Stamen at minus one thirty-five.
1: By decision specifically. Oh, by decision. So, got it. Got it. Okay. Thank yes, you. Yes, sir. Um, so I would recommend investing maybe thirty bucks into that one, and just to be safe, maybe put five bucks on Kelleher by finish at plus four hundred, five bucks to one twenty, and then we got Menifield by finish for him to knock Clark out minus one fifty. Those are pretty damn good odds. I'd recommend honestly seventy five bucks on that one. And then just to be safe, if you want to kind of hedge it, you can put a little bit of money on Clark by decision, his opponent at plus 375. if you put 10 bucks on him, maybe 20 bucks, then you're covered on the loss and you and you kind of have a win-win as long as the fight ends in one of those fashions. And then Evan Dunham by decision at plus 360. I think that might be worth a ponder. I'm not going to invest in that, but but I think that's something maybe to consider. You got any uh, betting of advice for the yeah, folks next?
0: There's I think there's a lot of interesting underdogs here for the um, adventurous wagerer. Uh I think Juicy and Formiga. Uh Juicier Formiga. I'm sorry, I'm working on my pronunciations after you gave Formiga me
1: Formiga Nick Formiga.
0: Formi- Motherfucker. Jucia Formiga. <laughs> um at plus one fifteen. It's Housier
1: Formiga Nick Oh you're upset. I could I could just feel it.
0: My next uh I think that I think that Gerald Mearshart, these guys should just change their names like you did. Your name is way more simple now.
1: I actually did change the spelling of my name.
0: Yeah, he w- went from something I can't say to drive. Yep. What was, what
1: was it before? It was drive before. It was just spelled really funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, I, I don't know. Like, when we first came into the country, immigration was like, all right, you're drive. Okay, this is how you're going to spell it D Z H U R A Y E V. Like, is that really necessary? This D Z H shit? Like, where did you come up with that? What is it that made you put three consonants together to start my name? Scrabble
0: uh so the other um i think antonio anthony rocco martin i said that one right anthony rocco anthony rocco anthony no anthony rocco martin At, at plus 120 is good couldn't
1: help fucking an american's name caray Sanhagen <laughs>
0: at plus it plus 100 uh is good and uh rafael asun uh at plus 125 is a good bet i, I would put 10 bucks on all those
1: Okay. Okay. I, I meant to. Yeah, we're we're not wagering a whole lot. We're not making taking major risks on this event because again, it's it's kind of a weird card. There's so many very very competitive fights. So that all makes sense. Speaking of uh, Dana White and negotiating with whether it be Henry Cejudo or John Jones, you know you've you've seen this back and forth between Jones and Dana, right? Uh, Jones mainly on Twitter, where you know he has the loudest speaker, I suppose, and Dana White generally in scrums. Uh, back and forths about Jones allegedly asking for $30 million to fight Francis Ngannou, Jones claiming that a number was never even spoken about, that the UFC just refused to to up his pay in any way. I think this whole idea that like the UFC doesn't have ticket sales now, and for that reason, fighters can't possibly ask for a raise for a huge fight that'll draw pay-per-view revenue is ridiculous. Is Dana White being a douchebag promoter that he is? I'm rarely on John Jones' side, but on this one, I'm kind of rooting for him. I, I hope that he has the cojones to actually take a stand and force Dana into something. It's interesting because after Dana kept talking about how John Jones is asking for major money and he doesn't deserve it, he's not an earner, you know, he's not a numbers guy. John Jones basically said, fine, I'll vacate the title and you could have somebody else fight for it. I don't really care. And Dana White, as kind of a negotiating ploy, he basically threatened John Jones in a very subtle way. He said, oh yeah, John Jones has the money to retire right now. He just never needs to fight again. And I just think it's interesting to kind of see this whole thing play out in public.
0: It's very interesting. There's a longer conversation to have there <clears throat> about the UFC essentially being an organization much, much closer to the WWE with respect to talent um, versus boxing, which fell apart because it ended up being uh, fighter-driven and per- like and promoter, like individual fighter promoter Um or fight manager, I should say, uh, driven versus the integrity of the organization, and there's always going to be push pull there, and and pros and cons. Um, but the fact of the matter is, the UFC fighters do not make as much money as they should compared to professional athletes. Absolutely not. And uh, I don't know enough about the math. I think that um, you know, I think that once once you're once you are on a televised card off of the early prelims. Um I also think they should be using those those early prelims in a different way than they are. Um that you should be able to make a living without having, you know, without having another job.
1: And if you're the best pound for pound fighter in the world arguably and you've been undefeated for many many years and you get in, you know, 400 000 to 800,000 pay-per-view buys fairly consistently, you should make more than 5 million fucking dollars a fight. Like in boxing, Jon Jones would have been making 15 to $25 million a fight consistently with those well, the, numbers. Yeah, but
0: the problem, Stan, is that if Jon Jones was, was performing the way that he did in boxing and you take him away, there's almost no boxing. The leverage that the UFC has is if Jon Jones never fights again, the impact to the UFC, I believe, is minimal.
1: Well, look, he is one of the few pay per view draws they have. I mean, this pay per view coming up right now is probably going to make maybe two to three hundred thousand pay per view buys, three seventy five maximum, right? John Jones with the good opponent, he will get notably more than that, and and he's one of the few. Him, Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's been driving a lot of interest. There's a couple of others that can really drive in pay per view revenue. The thing is that Khabib and Conor make significantly more money than John Jones does, from what I understand. And if I was John Jones, I'd be fighting for that shit. I'd get a new manager. Whatever you have to do, like actually fight for your money.
0: They are international fighters, which makes a difference. I also think that the UFC and the way payments happen likely changed dramatically after the ESPN deal. I don't. The pay-per-view model has shifted. The way that guys get paid out uh, off of buys has probably sh- uh, has probably shifted. Um, dramatically. I'd love to, to dig into the, the economics. I just think that with the ESPN deal, that the risk of loo- the, the risk of losing a fighter um, who's a bigger pay-per-view draw is significantly lower than before um, there was the ESPN deal.
1: Yeah, from what I understand, the UFC gets guaranteed money from ESPN per show, and I'm not sure if it's that simple for pay-per-views as well, or if there's some sort of a shared revenue system. But
0: it's mitig—it's going to be mitigated.
1: Oh yeah, 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 no doubt. With ESPN picking up, you know, at least part of the tab, it makes a difference. And using the entire
0: Disney media structure for you know for marketing purposes, so it's a the the marketing the UFC marketing machine with that ESPN deal got it got uh, extremely potent steroids.
1: And unfortunately fighters are getting screwed for it all the more. Yes. Even though the UFC at this point allegedly pays fighters around fifty percent of revenue. And people like John Jones might be making five million, but the great majority of fighters are making under a hundred grand a year. And Absolutely. that's ridiculous not considering only, not, they fight three times more a year.
0: Well, not only that, the costs, remember, if you're at that level, you're paying a manager. You're paying your your gym fees. You're paying training. Yep. I'm not you know. Met, I'm not sure how medical is handled, but your your take your take home ain't great. I mean, I'm sure you could do some creative accounting come tax season, but these guys are not uh, these guys are not making a, a lot of a lot of bucks if they're not doing Toyo Toyo t- excuse I can't even say that yet Toyo tire commercials.
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing. The UFC kind of has these guys largely by the balls. And I think part of their idea is to keep guys low down in the totem pole so that they wouldn't feel like they have serious negotiating power. You know, you don't want to deal with 16 Conor McGregor's if you don't have to when it comes to the negotiating table. And I think the UFC is just trying to squash any other kind of requests for increased money. They're insane. Like, Bottom line is that John Jones versus Ngannou would make solid pay-per-view money, around 800,000 buys, possibly over a million if promoted, right? There's a lot of money to be made, and just hardlining the whole issue is is kind of silly. Maybe the UFC is also looking at it like we're going to lose one guy or the other as as you know untouchable and undefeated after this. So there's some risk. It's just yeah, it's it's icky when Dana White uh, consistently negotiates publicly and tries to disparage and embarrass fighters, even though they're the ones that are putting their lives on the line.
0: You know, Trumpers gonna Trump. Trump
1: Trumpers gonna Trump. And I think on that note, Nikolai. going to call it quits on this episode a good one in the books i look forward to boasting about my victory nick i i I mistakenly said that i was actually seven two and one in my favor last event i was actually eight two and one in my favor now it is nine me two wins for you one draw Nikolai. you got some catching up to do motherfucker I'm, i'm fine fighting from underneath well you're going to be spending the rest the rest of this podcast series fighting from underneath my friend Maybe I'll retire and hold out for more money. I mean, it's basically like Khabib versus anyone. You being anyone, me being Khabib, just dominating. Dominating, Nick. Khabib, smash. Just tell me time and place. I'm tapping out. <laughs> <laughs>